Good morning, Lakeview Church. Wow, that was pretty good. Must be getting close to spring. Everybody's waking up and more alert. This is good stuff. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for the godly and gifted teachers that God has brought to our staff here at Lakeview Church. Over the last few weeks, Pastor Jared and Pastor Jessica have shared God's word with us in powerful and relevant ways, and I have been ministered to by their teaching, and I know that you have as well. And I wanted to ask you to express your appreciation of them this morning, but, but then I thought it would be better for us to express our thanksgiving to God for the gift of Pastor Jared and Pastor Jessica. And so uh, I would love for us to do that with a round of applause, not for them, but for God and his gift to our church. So let's, let's express our praise to God. We are in a series uh, called Joy for the Journey. We're looking at the episodes in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is kind of journeying all the way to Jerusalem where he's going to give his life uh, to redeem humanity. And as he moves along the journey, uh, he stops at various points along the way to offer some invitations into discipleship. And we've been looking at those invitations. We've covered three of them so far in this series. We began with Jesus' first invitation in the Gospel of Mark where he says, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. And Pastor Jessica reminded us that we have to make a choice to follow Jesus. And that when we choose to follow Jesus, we're saying that Jesus is better than any other option that is available to us. We moved on from that invitation to look at another invitation where Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to take the journey of following me in discipleship. And Pastor Jared reminded us that there are things in this life that we are drawn to out of our own self-interest, out of our own selfish desires. And we have to actually deny ourselves access to those things so that we can actually be granted access into the things that God has for us. And then last week, we looked at another invitation, the invitation of Jesus, where he says, if you want to be first, you have to learn how to be last of all and servant of all. And Pastor Jessica reminded us that if we want to truly follow Jesus, we have to take the posture of humility. We have to actually kneel down and serve other people just like Jesus did. And as we respond to these invitations, we're becoming more like Jesus. We're serving the world that God loves, and we're actually accomplishing this whole idea of discipleship that Jesus has invited us into. This morning, I want to talk to you about a fourth invitation that comes in the Gospel of Mark. And this one is a little bit different than the ones that we've looked at previously because Jesus isn't talking in this passage to a group of people. This is not a crowd or multitude that have gathered for one of his teaching opportunities. This is not even Jesus pulling his 12 disciples aside to talk with him. This invitation comes in a one-on-one -on -one conversation where Jesus speaks to the rich man. And we're going to kind of unpack this story because in this story, Jesus pushes past this man's beliefs and his convictions to address his heart. And I think there are some lessons that are helpful for us as we seek to fulfill and understand better this call to discipleship. Lesson number one is this. 
the cost of discipleship is your whole life. The cost of discipleship is your whole life. In this story, the, the rich man that comes to Jesus actually has a lot of things going for him as it relates to his faith and his spirituality. He has the right beliefs. He believes in God. And he even has religious convictions. He knows the word of God. He knows the commandments of God. And he's committed to fulfill those commandments all of his life. He has right beliefs and religious convictions. And yet he senses in his life that something is still missing. This is what drives him to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He knows that he has a good belief system and he has religious convictions founded on the commandments of God. And yet he still doesn't know how to get eternal life. And so he comes to Jesus with his questions. And Jesus dialogues with him around this topic, and then he gets to the root of the issue. He says to him, yeah, you, you have the right beliefs, you have the right convictions, but you lack one thing. you got to sell everything you have, and you got to give it away to the poor. And at this moment, the rich man comes face to face with the cost of discipleship. Now, some people would, would want to know, as you're reading this passage, if we follow Jesus, does Jesus really expect us to drain our bank accounts to zero and get rid of all of our earthly possessions so that we have nothing to our name in order to follow him? Is that what Jesus is really asking of us here? And the answer to that, I think, is no. Don't think Jesus is asking us to spend our bank accounts to zero and get rid of all of our earthly possessions. But, but what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's pushing past beliefs and convictions to remind us that the core matter of discipleship is where your love and devotion lies. See, you can have the right beliefs, you can believe in God, and you can have religious convictions. You can be a good person and do what God wants you to do. But if you love something more than God, you have not yet answered the full call of discipleship in your life. I want to say that one more time. Because it probably is the most important thing I'm going to say today. That if you love something more than you love God, you have not yet answered the full call of discipleship in your life. You see, Jesus knows that while this man has the right beliefs and he has religious convictions, he loves his money and his stuff more than he loves his God. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter and said, there's one thing that stands between you and the life you really want, the life that you're seeking after. You have to actually lay down that thing that you love more than God. And if you're not willing to do that, then you can't be my disciple. Now, if you just let that call ring in your ears for a minute, you might be tempted to think, man, this discipleship thing is legit. 
It's harsh. I mean, this is difficult. This is not for the faint of heart. And I think you'd be exactly right. Which is why it's important for us to have the second lesson from this passage to help us understand what drives this kind of serious call to commitment. You see, the whole call of Jesus in this passage is driven by love. It's driven by love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a church leader in the confessing church in Nazi Germany during the time of Hitler's leadership over that country. And he wrote a book as a warning to the confessing church. There were, there were two churches in Germany. There was the state church, and they were kind of moving in a very liberal, progressive way to support the evil of that state. And they were kind of forsaking their call to discipleship. And there was the confessing church, the church that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a part of. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Discipleship. It was really centered on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was committed, or or Dietrich was committed to pointing out the, the message of Jesus, that Jesus was calling us not to just give up living this serious call of discipleship, but to come back on the Sermon on the Mount and actually live the way Jesus was calling us to live. And so as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this book, he he said this, he said, when Christ calls a man or a woman, Dietrich didn't say that, I just added that in. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. Again, just let that sink in. When Christ invites us into the journey of discipleship, He's inviting us to die. Paul talks about this in Galatians 2.20. This wasn't something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer came up with in Nazi Germany. This was something Paul wrote about in Galatians 2.20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live on this earth, I live not in my own strength or in my own desires or my own direction. I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. This is the call of Christ to come and to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer of this call says, this call, though it might sound harsh, it's not the end of a a, a pious, happy life. It's not the end of, of joy. No, when you come to the cross and you die, you actually find communion and community with Jesus Christ. So the call might sound harsh, but in reality, it's a call to the best life possible. Which brings me back to the story that we're looking at today. In verse 21, I love this verse. I kept coming back to it over the last two or three weeks. I've been preparing for our time together today, and I just couldn't get away from this verse. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And the love that Jesus has for him leads to this call to come and give your life fully to the master. We need this picture of love in our culture today because our culture has a 
a really bad picture of love right now. Let me explain what I mean. Our culture equates love with comfort and ease. So that if something that God would ask us to do in his word would be hard or difficult, or if it would be a standard that would be too high, then we should obviously lower the standard and change what God has said. Because if God was loving, he wouldn't make us do anything that's uncomfortable. If God was loving, he certainly wouldn't ask us to do anything difficult or hard. Because if God is loving, then he would want me to be comfortable and happy. And I can't be happy if I'm uncomfortable. And I can't be happy if I'm asked to do something hard. You see, our culture right now is messing with the authority of God. And, and you shouldn't miss it. Because it's easy to miss it. If you just allow yourself, as Romans 12 says, to just get pushed in to the pattern of the world, it's easy to miss it. But our world right now is messing with the authority of God. And what they're doing is they're, they're starting with their own feelings instead of the authority of God's word. And they're saying... If, if I feel something, then I should be able to do that. If it feels good, if it feels comfortable, if it feels right to me, then I should be able to engage in that kind of behavior. And so we take God's standard and we mold it into the image of our feelings. This is happening right now in today's world. And I wish I could say it's not happening in today's church, but I think it's happening there too. We're molding God into the image of something we want him to be, which, by the way, is idolatry. And Jesus, in this passage, shows us a completely different picture of love. Jesus doesn't say, because I love this man, I'll let him make up his own standard. Jesus says, because I love this man, I'm going to invite him into the standard that I have set for discipleship. If there's anything that you love more than me, you should lay that down on the altar of sacrifice and align your life with my standard. Instead of molding God around our feelings and our comfort and our ease, we should allow God's standard to be God's standard. And we should make it our life's ambition to mold our lives into that standard. That's called discipleship. And I fear that in our world and even in the church in North America today, we have more idolatry than we have discipleship. The cost of discipleship is your whole life. And while that seems harsh or mean or sadistic, I want to remind you today that it is actually the loving call of God into the best life that you could possibly live. To walk into the standards that God has set for each and every one of us. Which leads me to the third lesson in this story. You and I should count the cost to be sure that we're willing to pay the price. 
You should count the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus to be sure that you are willing to pay the price. The man goes away from Jesus disheartened and sad at the saying. He hears the call of Jesus, go sell everything that you have, take all your money and all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the man is not willing to pay the price. And he goes away. Goes away sad. He's got the right beliefs. He's got religious convictions. But he's not willing to make God his first love. And so he goes away sad. Two things strike me about this one. This man actually has the kind of honesty that I think we should all strive for. Now, I don't mean to suggest that this man did what God wanted him to do. He clearly did not. But at least he was honest And authentic enough to say, I'm not willing to pay that price, so I'm not going to give a flippant yes to Jesus and then not actually do what Jesus has asked me to do. I'm not going to be a half-hearted Christian or a casual Christian. I I can't be all in, so I'm I'm just not going to be in. And there's an honesty that I like here. Because I fear that for too many of us, we have said a flippant yes to Jesus, a half-hearted yes to Jesus. We didn't maybe really know what he was asking us to do, or we didn't really want to give up all of our lives. And so we just said yes, and we kind of put one foot in and one foot out. So we call ourselves Christians, but we're not really disciples. And I'm not really sure that you can be one without being the other. I'm not sure that Jesus created a third category for fence sitters. I think Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow me. It costs your whole life. And if you're not willing to pay that price, then you shouldn't sign up for the journey. Because that's what Jesus is inviting us into. And this man has enough honesty and integrity to say, (laughs) I'm out. This reminds me of what uh, is written to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, Brian Rickey, uh, in our board meeting this last week, was sharing with our board. He shared devotions, and we read through the letters uh, that were written to the seven churches from the book of Revelation. And the church at Laodicea, you might remember, Either be hot or be cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I don't think Jesus has a category for fence sitters. Second thing that I see in this kind of interaction, not just the honesty and integrity of the man, but the unwillingness of Jesus to negotiate. And Jesus doesn't run after this man and say, no, no, wait, 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 come back. I'm sure we can make a deal. I'm sure we can figure this out, right? This is not Jesus trying to sell a car. 
Let me talk to my manager. Let's see if we can lower the standard. No. Jesus lets him walk away. Because Jesus has a standard, and it's non-negotiable. It just is the standard. And when Jesus comes to these moments of invitation, he just says, take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. And while Jesus wants us to take it, I mean, he wants us to take the deal. Because he knows that we're not going to get a better deal. Yeah, it's a high price to pay, but the value of what you get for what you pay is worth it. And so Jesus doesn't negotiate. He just keeps the standard and lets people decide. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about two options for us as we think about the call to discipleship. And I think it's just so important for us to think about it as we're thinking about the cost to discipleship. Bonhoeffer talked about cheap grace and costly grace. And he says that the church has given in to cheap grace. This is how he defines cheap grace. He says, cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without repentance. It's baptism without the discipline of community. It's the Lord's Supper without confession of sin. It's absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without the living incarnate Jesus Christ. He says the solution to this is costly grace, which he defines this way. He says it's costly because it calls to discipleship. It's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs people, us, our lives. It's grace because it thereby makes them live. It's costly because it condemns sin. It's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, grace is costly because it was costly to God. It was costly to God because it cost God the life of God's son. You were bought with a price, remember? And because nothing, listen to this next line, nothing can be cheap to us that was costly to God. Nothing can be cheap to us which is costly to God. Above all, it is grace because the life of God's Son was not too costly for God to give in order to make us live. This idea of cost is not, again, something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer came up with. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 14. I want to read these verses for you as we begin to close this morning. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet with him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want you to hear that last line. These are the words of Jesus. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I just want to encourage you today. You have to count the cost to be sure that you want to pay the price. Jesus said, count the cost. Because you have to actually give up everything to follow him. And so today, as we close this service, I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads and close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. And for those of you who are joining us online this morning, thank Gaged. I want you, just like the people in the room, to just focus in in these moments of commitment and make these moments moments of prayer and reflection. I want to talk to two groups of people in the room this morning, people who have heard this call of Jesus to surrender your whole life, to follow him. And the first group are those of you who are in this room or who are watching us online right now who have never made a decision to follow Jesus. Not one time in your life have you ever said yes to him, but today you're considering this whole following Jesus thing. And some of you might be way too early in that process to be at a place where you could say, I've counted the cost and I'm willing to actually follow him. I'm willing to pay the price today. And if, if, you, if that's you and you don't have enough information to make an educated decision today, I want to encourage you not to make a decision. Because I actually think a flippant yes is worse than one that really counts the cost before you say yes to giving Jesus every part of your life. I would encourage you, if that's you, just to lean in, though, and ask your questions and go on a serious journey of searching out who Jesus is and what he calls you to. There are some of you who have never made a decision to follow Jesus, and you actually have everything that you need to make a decision. You know what Jesus demands from your life. You've investigated it. You've asked your questions, and you have enough to know how much it's going to cost, and you know whether or not you're willing to pay the price today to give him your whole life. And if that's you today and you know that you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, if you're here in this room, all I want you to do is simply raise your hand. And I want you to do that right now. Nobody is looking around. People are raising their hand around this room right now. For those of you who are online, maybe you raised your hand and that's perfect. But what I'd love for you to do is to let me know that you're raising your hand right now. I just want you, I want to say this the best way I can because I don't want this in any way to seem irreverent. But I just want you to, to let me know by texting the phone number 765-222-5937. Just text the word follow. That will let me know that you're raising your hand so that we can follow up with you directly and help you take the next steps in your journey. Now, 
well. Those of you who have raised your hands in the room, you can put them down because I want to talk to a second group. There's a group of people in this room. You've been Christians. You've got right beliefs and you've got religious convictions. You're a good person. You come to church. You believe in Jesus. But today you realize, wait a minute. I've been sitting on the fence. I'm a Christian, but I'm not a disciple. And maybe today for you, the decision is to simply say, you know what? Just like the rich man, I hear the call of Jesus. There's something I love more than God today, and I'm willing to lay that down, and I'm willing to make God number one in my life. I'm willing to move from Christian to disciple. I'm not going to sit the fence any longer. And if that's you and you're here in this room, I just want you to raise your hand. You've been a Christian, but you've not been a disciple. Just raise your hand, raise it up high so that I can see nobody's looking around. And there are people who are raising their hands right now. For those of you who are online, you might be raising your hand too. And I would just again say, just text so that we can know. Text the word follow 765-222-5937. That will let me know so that we can follow up with you and help you take the next steps in your journey. Put your hands down now. Here's what I want us to do. The team's gonna lead us in a song. And as they lead us in the song, what I want us to do is I want us to stand here in the room, and if you're joining us online, I want us all to stand, and I want us to sing this song. This is a song that just declares that we've decided to follow Jesus. So I want everybody in the room to stand. Go ahead and stand up now. Now, if you raised your hand here in the room for either one of those, first-time decision or you wanted to move from being a Christian to being a disciple, Here's what I want to ask you to do. I actually want to ask you to take one more bold step today. And while we're singing this song as a body of people, I want you to step out from where you're at and come to the front of this room. You can kneel here at the altar. You can stretch into the open spaces on the side. But what we would love to do is come alongside you and pray for you as you're taking the next step in your journey today. So as we sing this song of commitment, all I want to invite you to do is just step out and come. Come to the front of this room and we want to meet you here and pray with you. So let's sing this song of commitment together as we decide to follow Jesus.